when Israel was in bondage in Egypt. Now, the Passover feast was to cause Israel uh, to remember their last evening as slaves in Egypt. Now, they've been slaves and in bondage uh, for 400 and some odd years in, uh, in, uh, in Egypt. And God had brought uh, nine plagues trying to shake up Pharaoh. But uh, literally those plagues, uh, they were affronts to the various things that they worshipped, uh, animals and the, and the uh, Pharaoh himself. And uh, the last plague was really meant to break his back. And it did that. It didn't break his heart, obviously, but it did break his back. Uh, certainly broke his uh, pride for at least a brief second or two in all of history. And so uh, they were to place the blood of a spotless and an unblemished lamb and place the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintel. And uh, everyone uh, and every home who did this uh, was spared the wrath of, of God, that is the death angel, if you will. Uh, when the angel saw the blood, then he would pass over. I think we probably ought to sung that song too. Uh, uh, yeah, when I see the blood. And so... Uh, uh, we won't get into this text part where it's uh, the prior part that we've read is the uh, uh, triumphal entry of Christ. Uh, and I was thinking of the message for next week, the Lord willing, uh, will be uh, tragedy or triumph. Uh, and uh, uh, depending on how you looked at it, I guess, uh, from the different perspective of those who were there, uh, whether it was a trial or whether it was a, was a triumph there. So, um, so we'll, we'll get into that, uh, the Lord willing, next week. But for today, by God's grace, verse 21 is about some Greeks who have come to Jerusalem, and uh, whatever, their, whatever their purpose or whatever their incentive uh, is not necessarily stated uh, openly, but I believe if you read uh, the text that they wanted to see Jesus, um, maybe from my perspective, I wanted to see Jesus because I'm a child of the Lord, amen? Uh, for them, uh, I'm sure they had heard about the Messiah, they had heard about Jesus, and they wanted to come to see him. I'm sure some wanted to come, hopefully, uh, maybe like... Uh, Herod and them, they had hoped that they might see a miracle uh, down along the way, and uh, they might have been more interested in that, or uh, any number of reasons they might have come here. But at least they asked the right question. They said, we want to see Jesus. And so uh, the word for see uh, is the Greek word oida. Uh, and the idea not, is, is not merely to see as in, as in to gaze or to look at, uh, but to perceive, to get a clear mental perception by placing the Son of God in light of his miracles. And so if these Greeks had been proselytized uh, to the Jewish faith, then uh, they, and having heard about Jesus, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I would want to see him, wouldn't you? I would want to be able to kind of, what is this man? Uh, what kind of a man is this that can actually raise someone from the dead uh, who had been dead for three or four days already and uh, so on? So uh, they, were, they were wanting to get a kind of a, a mental grasp uh, in uh, whatever they were, because in, in, uh, in uh, being a Grecian, you would have had uh, a plurality of gods. Uh, and coming into the Jewish faith, you had one God. And then all of a sudden now you're hearing about the, the, the Son of God and what he can do there. So I believe that they were looking at from a, from a mental uh, desire to be able to see this man, uh, who he was and what he was and, and what drove him, uh, what was behind this particular individual. And so uh, that's what they wanted to do. And so I, I want to give us, by God's grace, several areas in which we should crave to see Jesus in the true sense of, of this word, oida, a mental perception of his presence. Uh, because, you know, it's not, you know, when the wife and I, we can pray together and and uh, we can read, read our Bibles together, we go to church together, and we travel together, and all those kind of things there. Uh, but uh, the Lord, you, you don't, you, there's not a physical presence of the Lord, but we know that he is there mentally. We know because he has promised he'd never leave us, he'd never forsake us. So uh, it's the idea is that 
uh, we don't want to just have an academic idea of, of God's presence. We want to know he's there. Amen. And I believe that he can impart that to us in each, uh, in each and every set of our, our daily lives. So anyway, prayer. Father, we praise your guide and direct. Lord, as we look at the message this morning, Lord, you know who's saved, who's not saved, uh, whether they are gathered here in the sanctuary or our home viewers at home. Father, we know that we have the same Holy Spirit, uh, that he works in our hearts here. He works in the folk there. He works in all the churches where the word of God is being preached without compromise, wherever two or three are gathered. Uh, in your name, who are truly the redeemed of the Lord. So, Father, won't you guide and won't you direct and meet all the needs of this hour as you see uh, fit and, and need uh, to do so, and uh, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, number one is that when we are under sin's burden, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a personal sin on your part. Um, we live in a fallen world. And Christians are living their lives under a fallen world. And it's not easy. All right? It would be different if you're in the Garden of Eden. Hopefully it would be different if you're in the Garden of Eden. It certainly would be different if you're home with the Lord uh, where there is no sin. Uh, but uh, uh, that's not the case. We, we live in a fallen world. And uh, it may be our own sin. It may be the fact that we live in, the, in a world like we have here in the United States. Uh, none of us really care too much for what's going on. Uh, the the uh, um, what do we call those things? The uh, executive orders that are being signed into a whim, and uh, not even sure if he knows what he's signing. Uh, he maybe think he's signing a restaurant receipt. I don't know, because uh, half the time he doesn't seem to know. Uh, not, not that clear. Uh, so we need to pray for him. Because uh, I mean, hey, listen, those executive orders they affect us. Amen. So we can't just turn around and say, well, the, the guy seems to have some, some cognitive problems up there along the way because of his age. Uh, and uh, also probably because of those who are manipulating him and moving him around which, whichever way. Uh, but uh, uh, we're the ones who have to live under this stuff, so you better be praying uh, for this man. Pray for salvation. Amen? Uh, pray that, uh, if nothing else, that uh, if it's time for him to go home, to end of eternity, it's time for him to go home out into eternity. But I'd like to see him go out there as a saved man, amen. Uh, see his wife and uh, maybe even his son Hunter, and because uh, the other one's already dead. But uh, see him come to know Christ as our own personal Lord and Savior. But if we happen to find ourselves in a situation such as a personal sin and the burdens are heavy, um, and usually they get worse because of pride, don't they? Pride makes uh, what we're dealing with is sin in our lives so much worse. And so as we have been going through the books of Psalm. <clears throat> We have seen a great number of times when David was weighed down because of sin uh, around him, sin in his own life. I mean, uh, the pressures he ha had from King Saul was enough in and of itself, wanted to kill him. And even though David, the Bible is very clear that David had behaved himself seemly uh, and he honored the king and uh, he would not take the king's life into his own hand, though he had a number of opportunities to do that. So he had the pressure of someone else's sin that we wanted to seek his life. But then a little later on in his, uh, in his reign as king, uh, he really created some real problems for himself there, which was we find in Psalm 37, or especially Psalm 51. So in Psalm 51, we hear the heartbeat of a man uh, who was crushed by the weight of the burden of sin, uh, his sin of adultery. Uh, he dealt with this for a full year. Now, uh, that year was a time when he knew that God wasn't close because God couldn't be close because of the nature and the character of the sin and David's pridefulness and David's unwillingness to forsake or to ask forgiveness of that sin. And so if we can turn very quickly back to Psalm 51, just read a couple of verses there. And uh, you, you kind of have to uh, look back a little bit uh, in this man's life and, and to, to realize that what he's seeking here in Psalm 51 is a, a complete restoration to the Lord, uh, which he hadn't had for over a year. 
At other times in his life, he was able to call upon the Lord. The Lord was able to deliver him and to uh, meet the needs of the hour. But uh, he's gone for a whole year just walking in his own strength, walking in his own power. And uh, finally, when Nathan comes to him and he realizes that, uh, that he's going to have to deal with his sin, and, and God will bring us, by the way, God will bring us in our lives to that place where if we have sin in our lives, even if we've been hiding it and been hiding it well, the truth of the matter is God's going to bring us at some point where we're going to have to deal with it. It's all that simple. Either here or at the Great White, or not the Great White, but here at the Beam Seat, one or the other. Uh, if you go into the Great White Throne Judgment and see me after the service, we're going to get you to the Beam Seat, amen? But he says there, beginning in verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Uh, that comes uh, without saying uh, what we have in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1 and verse 9. That if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's asking God, blot it out. And aren't you so glad that when you really, truly, and sincerely, and sincerity of heart uh, confess your sin to him, that he will blot it out. He's not going to bring it up to you tomorrow or next week, next month, or so on. But he says in verse 2, he says, wash me. Now, not just, just kind of sprinkle me. He, uh, obviously, uh, David wasn't a Methodist by any stretch of the imagination. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, truly would be like almost being, you know, we realize that water baptism is only an identification and a witness of your, your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. But uh, he wants to be thoroughly, thoroughly, or truly, which is one and the same, but uh, the idea is that uh, he doesn't want any, any evidence. He doesn't want any residue uh, left. He wants it completely, completely, totally gone. And so you know he had to be extremely sincere. Uh, so the idea was that he said, well, Lord, it really wasn't my fault if that woman hadn't been bathing down there in the backyard there. And I wouldn't, uh, no, see, he, he goes, no, Lord, I, I, I know I've done wrong and I've done something terrible, but he would, he, he would be shifting the blame from himself to someone else. God, it really wasn't my fault. That's what Adam did, amen? Uh, Adam blamed and tried to shift it from, uh, from, uh, from his responsibility and he made himself a victim and blamed his wife and he dared to actually blame God. So he wanted to be completely done with this. He said, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Uh, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Jumping down to verse 6, he says, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Uh, God's not interested altogether in, in what uh, transpiring outwardly. Because you know what? We can, we can feign or pretend to be a lot of things in this life. But he wants to look deeper and to see the genuineness of the human heart. So he says, uh, 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 um, Behold, uh, thou desirest truth in the inward part. So we have to be honest and we have to be upfront. Uh, you can't listen. You can't hide anything from God. I don't care how clever you are with words, or how unique you might be with a vocabulary. The truth, God looks beyond the words. Amen. God looks beyond the, oftentimes what we're saying, and He looks to the heart, and He sees. Well, you know, He's not really sincere. She's not really being genuine at this particular time. But uh, nonetheless, uh, He desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and glad. He hadn't heard that for a year. Now in other adverse circumstances he had, he had experienced the joy of the Lord. He had experienced the gladness. He has written many psalms uh, about the joy and the gladness. How it delivered him uh, from uh, the uh, emotional difficulties he was dealing with at various times. But he says, uh, make me to hear joy and gladness. Uh, have you ever prayed that prayer, Lord? Make me to hear joy and gladness. 
He said that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a what? Clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy spirit. He was a man who literally, after a year, uh, became beside himself, and life was miserable. And he is seeking to get back to where he knows he should be with the Lord. So, as you read through Psalm 51 especially, can you not hear the pleading of a broken man who wants more than anything to see his Redeemer again? Sin may be no big deal to uh, the lost, but the redeemed of the Lord, seeing Jesus when life seems so hopeless, is so, so very important to you and I. They don't see it. Uh, and all the I, I, you really think our president really has prayed? I mean, he may have thrown up a few Hail Marys, and that's the end of it. Uh, but you think he really prayed for God's leadership and God's uh, uh, guidance and direction along the way? Do you think the vice president did that? I, not, uh, I, I would be very hard-pressed to believe it unless I saw it for myself that they were praying uh, uh, for that kind of direction. And, and, and we, we can say the same about the governor. We can say the same about um, much of uh, the Senate and the House in both uh, D.C. and here in uh, the state of Vermont. But uh, the Greeks that we're looking at back here who wanted to see Jesus, they may have been Greeks that proselytized into Judaism and had heard of the miracles of Christ and uh, wanted to see for themselves if there was more to the rumors than that which they had heard. And so the word for see is in the Greek it's the word oida. And I'm going backwards here. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Uh, and uh, and uh, so uh, it should be our greatest desire. And to be able to see Jesus means humbling ourselves, confessing our sins. First John 1 John 1.9, that uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can have a restoration of our broken fellowship. Our sin breaks fellowship with the Lord. Now, you're walking on your own when it comes right down to it. Uh, and so we, we, we need to understand that our goal should be wanting to see Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. And that means having a clean heart, a pure heart, and a, and a, and a, and a clean heart. So a second place we want to see Jesus is, is when we are worshiping the Lord. Amen? When you come to the house of the Lord or in your own personal prayer time, your own devotional time, uh, do, you want, do, you, do you not want to see Jesus? Not just a bunch of words on the page there, but you want to see Jesus. Uh, try to get yourself into the text that you're reading and, and almost try to envision yourself being back in those kind of days uh, and uh, maybe trying to experience what they experience as you go through the words. But in our text, Jewish people were coming from all over the known world at that time to celebrate the Passover feast in Jerusalem. The city was literally bursting uh, at the wall, people shoulder to shoulder. Uh, it was a religious fervor, folks going to and from the temple. Uh, religious ceremonies were taking place to be sure, and, and in its midst, sin was there, prevalent as ever, and there was no peace, though in their midst, other than the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace was there, but there was very little peace in any of the hearts of the people that were there. Going through all the same functions that many of them went through on a regular, regular basis, though Jesus came and offered himself to bring a peace that the, the religion could not bring. So, John chapter 12 and verse 19 says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how, how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world has gone after him. Would that the world was going after Christ. Amen. Uh, but uh, the world is not going uh, after him. So 
Earlier in the Gospel of John, in, in chapter 3, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to Jesus by night. And I, and I believe there were perhaps a number of Pharisees who probably went through in one degree or another the daily routines, but still felt empty in all that they had done. And I, I, I assume that Nicodemus was one of those. He said there's got to be something more than what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis or weekly or during the uh, various feast days, if you will. And uh, so I believe uh, uh, there were a number of those who did that. But uh, uh, Nicodemus observed Christ. He saw, and I believe he felt something that stirred his heart and uh, moved him to seek out Christ on a personal one-on-one -on -one to inquire of him because he wanted to see uh, Jesus in a, in, a, in a personal light and he had that audience. So if we do not come to church for any other reason than to see Christ, we have come for all the wrong reasons, amen? whether it's in the preaching or whether it's in the teaching or whether it's in the songs that we sing. Do we see Christ? Do we sense Christ? Do we have a sense of his presence? Or do we think, oh, that's just wonderful words or that's just a wonderful melody or in other churches there, we got these lights going up there. And I mean, it, it, they said, man, it was just so exciting here because um, there was just so much generated energy, but it wasn't from within, it was from without. And that's what happens in a lot of these praise services. It's, a, it's, a, it's an outward generating uh, of, of, of a praise worship rather than something that generates from within uh, to the outside. And so if after the worship service is over and all we can talk about we're not getting my fingers here, uh, is the, uh, the peppy, rocky music or how great the praise team looked or sounded, and, and uh, the only thing that we can say about the message is it was too long, too loud, and too personal. <laughs> uh, we we, we kind of want something that doesn't uh, offend us. We want something. Listen, if you've got sin in your life, you're going to be offended in any fundamental Bible-believing church. Amen? Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but it's how some people feel. They say, well, you know, yeah, the preacher needs to cut down his time a little bit. And uh, he needs now. Uh, you can't claim me being too loud. Amen. Uh, I used to be, but I'm not so much anymore. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you're preaching the Word of God, you're going to get personal. And for those who are, who are walking with the Lord, getting personal is not a problem. But those who are not walking with the Lord and they know there's sin in their life and they're here to get their gold star for the day, uh, then the message is going to get too personal. So everything we do, be it on this platform or the Sunday school classroom, should have only one goal, seeing Jesus. The songs we sing, every one of them should enable us to be able to see Jesus. Because many of these songs were written by individuals who were going through tragedies in their lives, dealing with some heavy issues in their lives. And they, they, they saw Jesus in the midst of their problems. They saw Christ in the middle of their difficulties. And now they want to share how God blessed them. And, and, and they, want, uh, they, want to, uh, they want us to see what they saw in the songs. Amen? And so our single greatest desire when we come to church should be a desire to see Jesus. Our prayer should be, Lord, help Steve and our musicians to help me see Jesus today. Lord, help my Sunday school teacher to help me see Jesus today. Lord, help our pastor to help me see Jesus. Lord, help the unsaved to see Jesus in us. Amen? I don't know who's listening. Uh, as I said earlier, that it may be some folks that are, have joined their saved family members and are listening to church online there. Listen, uh, they want to see Jesus. That's what they want to see. Out there in the world, they want to see Jesus. We talk about it all the time. But do they actually see him? Talk is cheap. Uh, anybody can talk up a good talk, but not everybody can walk a great walk. Uh, unless you've been in, in, uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and he's in control of your life. But the world needs to see Jesus. And our prayer should be, Lord, let the world see Jesus in me today.
No doubt uh, these Greeks uh, in our text could have come to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover, to see the sights, uh, to see the temple, uh, but more than anything, they wanted to see Jesus. How about you? When you come to the house of the Lord and you come up for to worship him or in your personal devotions, you want to see Jesus. You know, and just before you open your Bible in the morning, say, Lord, as I, as I read this book, I want to see you. I want to, I want to know your presence in, as you read that. So a third place uh, we should desire to see Jesus is in every aspect of daily life. Amen. In every aspect of daily life. Wives want to see Jesus in their husbands. Amen. Amen, wives? You want to see Jesus in your husbands. Men, I should say, ladies, we want to see Jesus in you. But you know, our kids want to see Jesus in us too. Otherwise, they're just following uh, a flesh and blood man and, and a woman as parents. They need to see Jesus. They need to see Jesus in, in how, we, how we run our personal lives, how we handle our marriage, and how we handle various problems and things that we deal with in, in, in the family dynamics. They, they, they want to be able to know that Jesus is there and that he is guiding with wisdom and with, with knowledge. So it is absolutely amazing how our days, how our circumstances, and, and our overall life is so different when we see Jesus there with us. Amen. Uh, someone has said, what would you do if Jesus was present? Would you say what you're about to say? Uh, would you go where you go? Would you dress the way you dress if Jesus was standing right here? So the real question is, is he important enough to you to really make a difference in your life? Well, the truth of the matter is he is with us, amen? And he sees us. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're saying. He knows where we're going. He knows what we're doing. He knows how we're dressed. He knows all these things. So uh, I, I understand the, the old ad, ad, uh, what's the word I'm saying? Uh, saying goes is uh, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, well, we need to reverse that. We need to have him in our mind so that he's not far from our sight, knowing that he is there with us as individuals. So when we seek to, to see Christ, know that to those who walk in obedience, who walk in fellowship with him, uh, that we have First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 where it says, casting all you care upon him for he what? Careth for you. He cares about every aspect of our lives, every breath that we take, every beat of our heart. He cares. He wants to reveal himself through the scriptures so as we begin our, our day or throughout the day, even in the evening, a few chapters will put Jesus uh, as, as your last thought. If you think at nighttime, if you're, if you're talking to him through prayer or you're reading your Bible a few chapters before you go to bed at nighttime, uh, it puts your, the last thought of the day uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it makes for a better night's sleep. For many, for many individuals who have to take different things to be able to get to sleep at nighttime, maybe spend a little bit of time with Jesus and you'll be able to sleep better through the night. Because it's interesting that a lot of times the last thing that's on our mind when we go to sleep at night time is the first thing we wake up on our mind in the morning. So you go to sleep with your, with the, with your mind on the Lord Jesus, you wake up with your, with your mind on the Lord Jesus. And so being able to see Jesus today makes facing tomorrow a whole lot easier. Amen? Bill Gaither saw him, because he lives, I can what? Face tomorrow. Because he lives. So a fourth place that we would want to see Jesus is in our sorrows, in our sorrows. Our sorrows can be some of the darkest times in our lives. And uh, we need help during those times. We need hope. We need light. And as gracious as others can be, Jesus is the one that we really want to see. Now, we're thankful for doctors that can do what they can do. 
Uh, they can make our, our dying processes so much easier, uh, med medically speaking. But the truth of the matter is if you are, have been redeemed by the Lord and the Lord has been your life, then the only thing that you really want to see is Jesus at a particular time. Amen. So no one can bring peace to the human heart like Christ can. When Lazarus was sick unto death, Mary and Martha didn't call for the doctors. Immediately they sent for Jesus. And yet he tarried three days. And when he did finally get there, he got chided for not getting there sooner. They were between a rock and a hard place concerning their brother's health. He was sick unto death. They wanted Jesus because he was the only one who could make a difference. And he's the only one who can make a real difference in all of our trials and tribulations and all of our adversities and all our circumstances. He's the only one who can really, really make a difference. And yet, isn't it foolish how we get going down the road somehow? We get, to, we get into our adverse circumstances and we realize that we have maybe for days or weeks on end, we've been trying to figure it out ourselves, trying to work it ourselves. And then we say, oh, wait a minute, I guess I, well, you know, we could save ourselves a lot of heartache and a lot of heartbreak if we just get with Jesus in the beginning. Amen? Not wait until we got ourselves over, uh, in, in over our head, but immediately to do so. Well, listen, they wanted to see Jesus, Martha and Mary. They wanted, to see, they wanted Jesus to come because no one can touch a troubled heart the way that Jesus can do. Now, they had the expectation that Jesus loved Lazarus, therefore he would raise him from, uh, well, they would, he would cure him from being sick, but now that he was dead, they assumed it was too late. And, of course, Martha and uh, Jesus had that conversation about the resurrection, and uh, she believed in the resurrection because she believed in Christ. She believed in the message of Christ as well. And uh, so, uh, but she didn't think what happened right then and there. She didn't realize that Christ would exercise uh, his divine power to raise up Lazarus from the dead uh, as he did. So if you have been developing a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then when sorrows come, and, and they will come because we live in a fallen world, uh, Christians die, Christians get cancer, Christians get COVID, we get all these things, amen? Uh, we're not exempt, but there's a reason for that because as, as the world observes you and I going through the very same difficulties that they're facing in the fallen world, and they see Christ in us, they get a different kind of perspective, don't they? They are permitted to see Jesus in that moment of our life when we ourselves seek Jesus and find him and follow with him during our difficulties along the world. The world needs to see Jesus in you and me. So amazingly enough, the name of Lazarus is something that stirred the curiosity on this particular Passover feast in the Gospel of John. In chapter 12, again, uh, then it says in the beginning of verse 16, These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that uh, these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people therefore that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of his grave, and raised him from the dead, bear record. And so when we're going through very difficult times, whether it's in our personal lives or someone within our family, and they see Jesus Christ at work, bringing peace, bringing hope, uh, bringing uh, 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 peace to the human heart a, a peace that passes understanding uh, especially at funeral times there uh, it's, a, it's a very sorrowful time but it's a different kind of sorrow it's not one like we're never going to see them again because if our loved one is redeemed by the blood of the lamb we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb when that, per, when, when that person dies they go home to be with the Lord when we die or are raptured up we're going to be home with them as well we're never going to be parted from them ever again and so they need to see Jesus in you and I. Just as they came because they saw what Jesus had done, uh, the world needs to see what Jesus is doing in our lives. So uh, the witnesses, as we said in verse 14, 
they wanted to, to, to talk with these people who actually saw uh, the uh, resurrected uh, Lazarus. And so the fifth, in the fifth place there, uh, we want to see Jesus as we close, uh, as the hour of our deepest, uh, as the hour of our death approaches, I'm sorry. Uh, so while we have, or at least seldom have, any idea of how we're going to die, if you have come to a saving faith in Christ, you know where you're going to spend eternity. Amen? Now, the only, the only fear for a Christian in death would be, I'm coming to this hour, I'm going to be in his presence, and I've wasted my life. Amen? I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to come to that point in time in my life, whether it's the rapture or whether it's uh, death. I don't want to have to face the Lord Jesus Christ realizing that I did nothing or I did very little in comparison to what he enabled me or what he could have enabled me to do. So the Apostle Paul knew his day or his days were almost up and he wrote in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, if I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Can we say any one of these things about our lives? Can we say that we're ready to be offered? If we knew that our hour was coming. Can we say that we fought a good fight? Can we say that we have finished my course? Many Christians don't even know what God's plan and what God's purpose for their lives are. Now, there's a basic purpose and plan. You've heard me say it many times over. But he may have a specific plan that only you can fulfill in his purpose and his plans for your life. Can you honestly say that, that you have fulfilled that? You probably haven't even been seeking it. Uh, hopefully you have. And if you found that, that you have done that. Paul knew exactly what God had called him to do. He was the, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, he went to the Gentiles. And he went to Gentile cities. And he preached there. And he, he engaged the, the Jews as well. But uh, he knew that he was called to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to give his life. Have you kept the faith? Have you kept the faith? So once Paul came to a saving faith in Christ, he lived his life full out for Christ. Not only did he expect to see Jesus at the hour of his death, he stated in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, he said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is what? It's to gain. He had lived and walked with Christ every single day. I'm sure that he was able to see and feel and know the presence of Christ when he was shipwrecked and he was floating three days in the ocean or while he was out on the backside of the Arabian desert and he was being instructed by the Holy Spirit of God, uh, preparing him for his public ministry. Uh, he knew that God was there with him at that time. I knew, uh, I, I believe that uh, it, it showed because everywhere he went, he was witnessing. In the midst of his most difficult times, he was witnessing to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted others to see what he saw and what he knew about Christ. So he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The psalmist knew the Lord uh, would be with uh, his own uh, in death. Uh, in Psalm 23 and verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's never apart from us. A diligent seeking and a faithful daily walk prepares us for all of those times, whether beyond our control or not. It prepares us to see Jesus when and where others cannot. And I, I couldn't help when I, when I had that in the back of my mind there, that when Elijah and his servant were on the wall and uh, the enemy were camped out there around this city, and those occupants in the city were far, far less than those who were outside the city walls. And Elijah told his servant not to worry. 
he said, there's more of us than there's of them. I'm paraphrasing that one. And uh, his servant said, are you kidding me? We're basically a handful of people compared to what's out there. And then Elijah prayed that his eyes would be opened. And that's the only way we're going to see Jesus. And we pray that God will open our eyes that we might see glimpses of him as the song would go. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that hath friends must show himself what? Friendly. Then uh, there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Hebrews 13.5b, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is there. You may have to ask God, say, listen, I'm having a hard time seeing you, but I know you're here. I know you're here. So pray. So pray. So begin to develop the desire to want to see Jesus throughout your daily walk. Pray that others may see Jesus in you throughout your daily walk. It makes our daily walk worth every step, doesn't it? Amen? It really does. It makes every day. You say, oh, it's Monday and i got to go to work. Oh, wait a minute. I want to see Jesus today. I want others to see Jesus with me. Listen, if you're hiding at home, people can't see you, see you outside. Amen? So, ask the Lord to help you to see Jesus and help the others to see Jesus in you. So, I want others to see Jesus in me. I want to see Jesus in others. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. Lord, gathered around your throne of grace. And, uh, Lord, they're not just simple little words that are placed in the scriptures. Uh, Lord, they're not mundane. They're not innocuous. Lord, they are there for a reason. These Greeks, they wanted to see you. Lord, I'm sure there's people out there who who are really looking. They know that we're Christians. They know that we're saved. It may be fellow employees that we work with. It may be an employer. It may be uh, uh, neighbors or maybe unsaved family members that are watching us very carefully because they know we're saved. And, oh, Lord, they, they might see Jesus. Lord, it may be that they're looking for a reason not to see, but, Lord, uh, we pray that you'll help us to be mindful of, of every thought and every word and every deed and every step that it, that it really needs to glorify you so that others may see Jesus in us. Lord, we're looking forward to that day when we shall see you eyeball to eyeball. Lord, what a thrill that's going to be. But right now, Lord, we, we can see you in our circumstances. We, we know you're there. We feel your presence. Uh, there's a mental awareness and a mental alertness that, Lord, even in the worst of the worst times in our lives, that you are there guiding and directing us. So, Lord, may we be faithful in each and every day uh, to allow the world around us to see Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Not a soul look around at home as well. You say, I want the world to really see what God is doing in my life. I want the world to see what Jesus has been accomplishing. And I don't want to be a failure to that because the Holy Spirit has been working so hard. He's been working on... on on a daily basis in my life and in my devotional life that he might be able to use me to allow others to see the power of the presence of Christ in a believer's life. Preacher, would you pray for me as we pray for you this morning? Yes, hands are here and hands are there. Oh, I, want, I want the world to see Jesus. Um, you know, if you've got grandchildren, don't you? I mean, you, you, most of the time we carry pictures of our grandchildren and, and uh, we'll pull out those little wallet folders and let them see uh, our grandchildren, especially their brand new um, grandchildren that have been just newly born. We want everybody to see them. Well, listen, don't you want the world to see Jesus? If that's the case, then you're going to have to really dedicate each and every day, maybe even have to rededicate it uh, throughout the day as, as you face difficulties. Well, Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. And Lord, in just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn, a follow on. 
uh, Lord, that uh, you would guide and direct with each and every one of us. Lord, we are human. We're sinners saved by grace. And, uh, Lord, there are times we're going to stumble and falter along the way. But, Lord, may we be mindful that those are events that will take place very little in our lives if we're going to dedicate each and every day to projecting Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world that they might see you. The Greeks came to seek it. Lord, may the Gentiles and all those who live around us see Jesus in us, in our marriages, in our personal lives, in our family lives, in our, in our ministry lives as well. And Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.